phone call KXRX went on the air with a report that a body had been found at the Cobain Mansion. All at once, all six of our phone lines at the rocket lit up. Members of the media were calling to ask for comment, friends of Kurt's were calling to ask if we knew any details, and our own staff of freelancers was calling in to see if what they'd heard was true. The KXRX DJ later told me the horrible story of how Kurt's sister had phoned the station to say the body couldn't possibly be Kurt's because this was the first she was hearing about it, and news like that couldn't leak out before the family was notified. But that is exactly what happened. Kurt's family found out he was dead from a report on a radio station. I was busy making phone calls to Nirvana's publicist, mutual friends, contacts at Geffen Records and Sub Pop, anyone I knew who might have more information. Frustratingly, nobody knew anything more than I did. I was doing what any magazine editor would have done, investigating leads. But this felt personal, too, because everyone in Seattle felt a connection to Kurt. It was even more personal at our magazine because not only had The Rocket given Nirvana their first press and covered everything they did from first single to stardom, but the band had advertised in our pages several times, looking for drummers. One of my regrets is that I cashed a check Kurt wrote The Rocket for Twenty bucks to pay for a classified ad, when it was already clear that he was destined for fame. At the Rocket, there was a principle that we couldn't treat the bands we covered as stars and still retain the respect they had for us. Journalists didn't ask for autographs or keep signed checks. Another connection with the band our magazine had was that Nirvana's logo, in the century-condensed font, had been set on the Rocket's typesetting machine. That original logo which had already been slapped on millions of albums, first came out of a giant old type machine a few feet from my desk. But back on that morning, April 8, 1994, there was no time for nostalgia. I needed immediate answers because I also had a job to do, and that job had become a lot more complicated in the last few hours. The rocket was set to go to press that night and we'd been waiting all week for an interview we'd been promised with a certain rock star, one Courtney Love. Hole was poised to release Live Through This the following week, and her publicist had set up numerous interviews for us, all of which had been postponed. And, as luck would have it, we had a phone interview with Courtney scheduled for the very day Kurt's body was found. A paste-up of our next cover of The Rocket, complete with a photo of Courtney and Hole, was sitting on our art director's desk. It was only later that I discovered the reason Courtney kept missing our scheduled interviews. She was out searching for Kurt, who had escaped rehab. When the news came that the body at the Cobain house had in fact been identified as Kurt's, I had the surreal task of directing our art staff to take Courtney Love off the cover of the rocket and put her now-deceased husband on. Amid that deadline drama in my office, the phones never stopped ringing. I tried to juggle the calls while, with my staff, I chose an iconic Charles Peterson photo of Kurt for the cover. It showed him jumping high in the air, almost as if he was no longer of this earth. It was perfect. Our first cover story on Nirvana had run with the headline, Nirvana Invades Berlin. That had been an easy headline to write. Nirvana was on the rise back then, but this time around, no string of words could sum up the loss. It was too big to put into words, really. In the end, 
We used the airborne photo with no other type other than our logo and the date. And the phones just kept ringing and ringing. Many of the calls were from media who had never even covered Nirvana before, or had maybe mentioned grunge in one article, and were now trying to create a story where there was nothing to report other than an obituary. The barrage of phone calls began to rattle our office receptionist. This was a woman who was usually so sure of herself that she once had the nerve to demand Courtney Love put out a cigarette when Courtney walked into our office smoking. Courtney dropped it on the carpet and rubbed it out with her shoe. But that April day, the endless phone calls had unnerved the receptionist, and I could hear that strain in her voice when she buzzed me for the thousandth time with another call. She didn't say who was waiting. She told me flatly, pick up line one. When I did, I heard a raspy sound. I recognized it.